Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. church. It's good to be together today. And I just want to use this as an opportunity as we're talking about gratitude this morning to just express my thanks to you for what I get to do here, for being called to this work and to getting to bring the word every Sunday uh, in this way. It's a blessing to be with this church. And so let's uh, open with prayer this morning and then we'll open God's word together. God, we give thanks this morning for all that you're doing around the world, around this city uh, and in this church family. And uh, God, I, I just, I give thanks for the transformation that you're doing. We want to celebrate that everywhere we see it in this church, that you are a good God who continues to work and change and shape us, that we are not who we were. And our, our trust is, as we continue to live in tune with your spirit, that we will not be who we are today in the days to come because you were faithful to turn us into uh, Jesus walking around with, with skin on, that we are the image in the flesh and blood picture of what your body should be in the world. So God, help us to live that out as your church. This morning as we talk about gratitude, as we are coming into this Thanksgiving week, my prayer is that you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ is formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, last week, I want to catch some of you up because I see some faces that may be new to us this week. We talked about gratitude, and we talked about a scale last week, a kind of a gauge. There's two sides that we value in our world. One is we value permanence, things that have permanent, uh, kind of long-lasting effects in our lives. And we value also impermanent things, those fleeting moments, those precious moments that sometimes go past us without us our, our recognizing it. So on the permanent side, uh, this is true when you travel around to different places. If you've ever been on vacation uh, in other parts of the world, it's, it's common for us to go and see things that have stood the test of time. Think about uh, the Great Pyramids, right, being constructed and still are there for our enjoyment. The, uh, the Great Wall of China, if you've ever been to China, that's obviously one of those tourist places to go to. The Mona Lisa, there are works of art that stand the test of time, but it's true in our own lives with relationships. We live in a world where things change so often, where families move different places, where uh, we don't last long in, in, in one location like generations ago. And so when we see relationships that last, that stand the test of time, or marriages that will last for 50 years, um, those are examples to us that, the, that we, we have value of things that, that are permanent, that, that stick through the phases of life. But there are also things on the other side that we value, and those are the impermanent things, those fleeting moments, the stages of your family's life as you think back over the years, or um, different species of flower that may bloom for just a couple of weeks at a time or a day or two at a time. There's value we have for things that aren't lasting as well. Uh, And in Matthew 17, what we come across is a story of uh, an impermanent moment. 
And there are lots of these in the ministry of Jesus as the disciples are walking around with Jesus. But last week, we opened to Matthew 17. I want to read there again this morning. This is the story of the transfiguration of Jesus. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you thought, I will remember this moment for the rest of my life? Like this will be so indelible in my imagination. I can go back there and access this at any moment. I just know this is powerful. You want to hold on to those moments. And that's exactly what Peter realizes in this moment as this unfolds in Matthew 17, beginning in verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter understands in this moment, this is a moment he'll never forget. So what does he do to try to freeze that moment, to try to hold on to that moment? I want you to see, we read this last week in verse 4. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Peter makes this offer, right? If I can just build us some houses, some places to hang out, can we just stay here forever? This is incredible what's happening. Think about all that Moses and Elijah represented to people like Peter and James and John. These are the heroes of the faith, right? I mean, this is Moses who received the Ten Commandments from God, who led them through the Red Sea. Moses was representative of the law, the Torah, those great moments in Israel's past. And then there's Elijah here. And Elijah, well, Elijah's the great prophet of Israel, right? The great moment on Mount Carmel where God consumes the sacrifice with, with fire from the heavens. Elijah represents the prophets. The law and the prophets are represented here. It's like the hall of fame for Israel. They're the heroes of faith. They represent the best of Israel's past before they had gone into exile in the midst of their sin. And if there was any nostalgia Israel had about its past, these two represented that nostalgia. These were days worth remembering. These were the glory days of Israel. Now, we read all that last week, but what I want to do is I want to read the next verse, verse 5. And I want to camp there for a minute because I think there's a secret here in the midst of us focused on gratitude about what God is trying to speak to Peter in the midst of this incredible moment that he's experiencing. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Now, there are many ways to in interpret those verses to pull out different things that may be valuable or important for us to hang on to in our own day. But I believe one of the things that God is trying to say to Peter in specific is, listen to this Jesus. This is my son. I want you to listen to him. Yes, Moses and Elijah, they said great things in the past and they probably have all kinds of wisdom they could pass on to you. There may be some among you that are afraid that Israel's best days are behind you. But I want you to be in this present moment. Because if you try to hold on to the past, you might just miss the miracle that's happening in this moment. This is my son. Listen to him. One of the great killers of joy in the present moment, no matter what moment we find ourselves in, is nostalgia. And what is nostalgia? The word nostalgia was coined in 1688 by Johannes Hofer. And he was using this word, came up with this word to describe the feelings Swiss soldiers felt on the battlefield as they longed to get home following service abroad. 
He noticed a bit of this kind of longing for home that they sometimes would come down even ill is what it felt like. There was just something off, and this is what he named it, and it's built on a compound Greek term that comes from two different Greek terms. The first is nostos, which means homecoming or returning home, and the second word is algos, which means pain. That's what it's trying to bring together, these two realities. It was the diagnosis of a sickness that related from being homesick, which I remember the first time I went away from home after sixth grade when I went out of state for a camp that I went to, a summer camp. It was two weeks long, and I had a great time, met all kinds of new friends. But, you know, a few days in, it was my first time away. I remember this feeling, and I, I wouldn't have known the words to put to it, but it was this feeling like I miss mom and dad in the midst of all this. I miss even my brother, which I could have never imagined saying at the time. There's this feeling and longing for home that I felt for the first time then. And as I grow older, what I notice is year by year, nostalgia grows as well because there are more moments in the past that are wonderful to look back on. Earlier this year, our daughter Brooklyn turned five years old and I had this uh, application on, my, on Facebook that uh, some of you probably have as well that every, uh, every day I'll get a message or a notification that'll show me all of the previous posts on that particular day. So that today I can look back November 24th, all these previous years, and look back on all the crazy posts that I might have posted at some point, or, or the pictures from events in the past, or the different moments going back. And, and it was on that fifth birthday that I was looking back, and all of the first four birthdays showed up. And already on this great day that was going to be a later memory, right, of day I'll look back on fondly, I was looking back thinking about how small she was and all those moments before that we had celebrated her on her birthday. As Macklemore puts it so aptly in his song, Good Old Days, I wish somebody had told me, babe, someday these would be the good old days. Someday soon your whole life's going to change and you'll miss the magic of these good old days. Or for others of you who aren't familiar with Macklemore, maybe you remember Joni Mitchell's song, Big Yellow Taxi. If you can believe it, it's been 50 years next year since that came out, 1970. That song, uh, I don't remember it from Joni Mitchell. I remember it from Amy Grant growing up. Uh, and, and the Counting Crows did a reboot as well. But you remember the line from that song? They paid paradise and put up a parking lot. Don't it always seem to go that you don't know what you got till it's gone? They paid paradise and put up a parking lot. See, Macklemore and Joni are, are tapping into this feeling of nostalgia. And Peter heard these stories growing up. Nostalgic stories from his grandparents, I'm sure, perhaps his parents, who talked about the good old days in Israel's past. You know, those days when King David was well, fighting the Philistines, those days when, when Elijah was doing these great and wonderful things, when Moses and Abraham and, and Esther and all of these heroes of the faith, they were doing these incredible days. Those were the good old days. But the danger of nostalgia is you'll be so focused on the good old days that you'll miss the moments that later on you'll describe as the good old days. God is telling Peter in the scene, I think, don't get hyper-focused on the past. Don't, don't focus on what I did in the days of Moses and Elijah because if you only focus there, you're going to miss the miracle of what's happening in this moment. Nostalgia can lead us to miss the miracles all around us. And why is that? Why does nostalgia prevent us from staying in the present? And I think the reason for that is because there's a connection between nostalgia and scarcity. There are ways of remembering that are rooted in gratitude that have nothing to do with what I'm describing with scarcity. 
to remember back to fond moments of the kids growing up, to remember back maybe to the early days of, of a marriage when, you know, there was only enough money maybe for one night out a month, right, uh, to dinner. I mean, those, there's a way to remember with gratitude for the simple moments in life. But there's another kind of remembering that isn't as positive. It's nostalgia rooted in scarcity. And that deadly kind of memory reaches back for good times with the belief that it may not be as good in the present day or in the days ahead. It's actually rooted in a view of how you view God. Is God still birthing new creation in the midst of the world or are God's best moments in the past? Is there something new that might emerge or is it only those good memories from the past that are the good moments? Or as Matthew 17 gives us an example, does Peter need to build a shelter and greedily hold on to that moment? Or can he allow that moment to be what it is knowing there will be other mountaintops ahead? Peter's first impulse is to freeze it. To take a snapshot, to to hold this moment, to stay there forever, which I can understand, I can appreciate. But in a way, Peter is being greedy with this experience. He's he's trying to hold on to this moment, which you can't do. Now, it's a different kind of greed than the kind of monetary greed we often talk about. But there's a connection between these two. Financial greed has to do with holding on to your financial resources because there might not be enough to go around. Financial greed is worried about generosity because if you give too much this month, there might not be enough to go around next month. Peter's not exactly doing that, but what is Peter doing? Peter is being greedy with his experience at the transfiguration. He wants to hold on to it, and it's based on a worldview of scarcity, just like when it comes to finances. His belief is, well, I've got to hold on to this moment because there might not be enough next time around. It may not get any better than this. This may be all there is, and that causes you to want to grasp onto things and hold them. The problem is... (laughs) When you clench your fists to grab onto whatever it is and hold on to it, you don't have your hands open to whatever may come next. And God has to tell him, look, this is my son. It's not just about Moses and Elijah. This is my son. Listen to him. Not just the words in the past. This is a new word that Jesus is going to bring, a new covenant. See, the choice between nostalgia and gratitude depends on how you choose to see the world. Is the world a place where there's only so much to go around so that you need to hold on to everything to make sure there's enough? Or is the world a place where new creation is always bursting forth in the midst of the old? Is God stingy or is God generous? And if we are people of the resurrection, what it means is that we believe that there's more to go around, that new creation is always bursting forth, that there's always possibilities in the midst of the old or in the midst of this present moment for what God will do in the days ahead. Amen? So how do we work against this kind of thing? What are the tools that we have at our disposal to not be the kind of people who try to greedily hold on to things, but are people who live open-handed to know the next moment has gifts as well? And I believe the greatest weapon we have against that kind of living, that kind of greedy living, is gratitude. Gratitude is a spiritual weapon. It's how we arm ourselves to wage war against the lies of nostalgia. Gratitude is how we learn to see correctly. It's how we lean into the next stage of life with as much excitement as we look back fondly on the old. 
Gratitude is, is, is about these great moments in this present moment and being open to them. I mean, all those great moments that you have, they were all in the past because that's kind of how it works, right? But you won't have any great moments to look back on in this phase unless you're open to what God is doing in your very midst. Today, you're making the memories of the future. And that only happens, though, if you can step out of the past long enough to be present in the moment and to listen to Jesus. That's the power of gratitude. It's the way we learn to stay in the moment. Gratitude is the way we train our muscles to look forward with anticipation. It's the way we we put our antenna up in the world to all that God is doing around us. So today I'm going to ask you to do something I don't normally ask you to do. I want you to take out your phone. And we're going to build some muscles. This is our, our gym session of gratitude this morning, okay? You've got two opportunities I want to ask you to do one of these. Choose one of these right now. We're going to give you a couple minutes to do this, okay? One option is I want you to think of somebody that you are grateful for, that you have gratitude for right now. I want you to look maybe through your phone list or your text message list, and I want you to send a note of thanks of gratitude to that person right now, okay? The other option is, uh, it may not be a text message. I want to encourage you maybe on social media. Maybe this is a chance in the midst of all the negativity that can be there for us to be a force of gratitude in the midst of that. And so if right now instead you'd like to go on your social media account, post a picture of something that reminds you of something you're grateful for or people that you are, or maybe just a, a post that you want to put, just expressing gratitude for whatever it is. I, I'm serious about this. I'm going to do this right now myself. So uh, if you don't do it, then you'll be sitting here waiting on me to finish. So uh, let me encourage you to do that right now. All right, I hope all our heads were down at some point because I really want you to do this before we leave. And if, if you're somebody who likes to write postcards or thank you notes, then if you have them in your purse, go ahead and fill them out. But if not, let me just encourage you, go home and, uh, and, and, and do more of this because gratitude, I'm telling you, it is the way that we move away from uh, focusing on the past only to seeing what God is doing in the present moment. Well, as you're finishing up those texts, feel free to do that or your, or your posts. But as you're, as you're doing that, I want to close with a few words uh, of challenge to some of you in the room that may be a little bit like me. I've told you several times over the past couple of weeks that gratitude is the single most important spiritual practice in my life. And that's not to downplay the role that Scripture reading or that prayer holds in my life. I have several spiritual disciplines and rhythms that are important to me in my spiritual growth. But what many of you may not know about me is that I'm a perfectionist. I'm motivated to make things better, everything I possibly can. Uh, And that trait can be a gift, but if you are close to any perfectionist, you know it can be a challenge as well. There's downsides, because I I always want to make things better. That means that the lens through which I see the world, well, it's a little bit critical, because in order to improve things, you have to see what's wrong, and so it's easy to look all around me at the things that could be fixed or made better, and so that lends itself to a critical, kind of cynical spirit sometimes if I'm not careful about it. I want to be good, and I want everything I do to be considered good, and that means when things are not good, I'm hypersensitive to it. And what that means for me is I often have uh, critical voices that run through my head on a constant basis. I don't know if this is like any of you. They sound like this. You shouldn't have said that, Colin, or you should have spoken up, or you could have worked a little harder to perfect that. Well, that word of encouragement that person gave to you was a lie. 
You're not really that good. Or people think you're a really good person, but they wouldn't believe that if they knew you more closely. Or sometimes you're an imposter. You aren't really worthy of the work you've been called to. And it's hard to quiet those voices as a perfectionist. They're there all the time. And that's why I tell people that it's really hard to live with a perfectionist because they're probably always commenting on the things that you don't do right and noticing things that you would let slide by. But as critical as they are to you, they're even more critical the self-talk they give to themselves. And that's why gratitude has become so important to me. Gratitude is the way that I quiet the critical voices in my head. I end my day each day by writing in a gratitude journal, which I've told you about before. Because if I don't, when my head hits the pillow, my focus will be on all the things that went undone, for all the words I'd spoken that I wish I hadn't, for the words that I wish I'd spoken that I didn't, all those mistakes that I had made. That would be the focus before my head hits the pillow. But what I'm trying to do at night is I'm trying to take every thought captive trying to direct my focus to the things that I'm grateful for that God has put into my life. I'm telling you, uh, to go to bed like that is a much better place than all the things that are left undone. I'm training my brain to focus on something different than I naturally do. So this practice may not be as important for you as it is for me, but my gratitude journal is saving my life right now. And it's making me a better human being, I believe, over the last couple of years. It's doing several things in my life. Gratitude is is teaching me not to live in the past, not just to live in those moments and nostalgically in that uh, moment with what God has done, but believing and beginning to see that God is doing something here, and I believe God will do something in the days ahead if my eyes are open to see it. Gratitude is teaching me not to live in a world that I believe is scarce or filled with scarcity. The reason we try to put up shelters like Peter The reason we try to hold on so tightly to the present impermanent moments, I believe is because we're afraid the future isn't going to get better than this. But I'm learning through gratitude that every day is full of something worthy of gratitude. Every hour, even every minute and every second, if you look around you, if you have eyes to see, if you put your antenna up, you'll see the gifts that are there on a constant basis. Gratitude is teaching me to live full of joy rather than with the critical spirit that comes naturally to me. Now, I'm not where I want to be. Many days the critical voices still went out. But increasingly, I'm finding joy in these moments of life. I want to thank you for the way you engaged earlier with those text messages. My hope is that that will just send out a, a word of encouragement to others, and it will also store up in your own heart and life the realization of the gifts you have. Maybe this is a practice you need to do on a regular basis. I'm going to set an alarm on my uh, on my phone and every day at this time, I'm just going to send out a message to someone else. Or maybe it is a journal, whatever it may be. I just want to encourage you about this gift. You know, there's a word that we've used throughout the generations, not so much us in Churches of Christ, but other Christians throughout the generations about the Lord's Supper table. We tend to call it Lord's Supper or, or communion. But there are a lot of churches that refer to that time as the Eucharist. And I love that term, and I want to give that to you this week as a a word to reclaim, because what that word simply means in the Greek is giving thanks or thanksgiving. So this week, you'll likely find yourself at a table or two, celebrating perhaps with friends or with family. And I I want to just remind you as you enter into this time with gratitude, this time where everyone takes time before Black Friday, of course, even Thursday night, right, when that all changes, maybe we 
push hard against that a little more this year. Give it a few more hours to sit at this table giving thanks for all that God has done for us, this Eucharist table. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, I thank You for the ways that You've shown me to war against cynicism and criticism. The ways You've shown me to wage against those voices that are so often in my head. And God, I, I just want to continue to be a person who gives thanks in the midst of great times and in the midst of challenging times because if we have eyes to see, You are doing all kinds of things around us. And God, for some of us today, that's really hard to notice. It's really hard to give thanks and that's why we gather in a community of faith is some weeks we need others to sing songs of praise on our behalf because we're just not there. And God, if we would also realize the psalms are filled with many lament psalms as well, not just songs of praise. But there is that refrain in almost every single one of those lament psalms out there. But our hope is in you, God. We give thanks for who you are and for what you've done and for what you are doing and for what you will do. You are a God of the past and the present and the future. You are the God who describes yourself as I am. And for that we give thanks. And we are reminded today of this gift that you've given to us. That even though there are those moments and people of the past who've been so faithful to pass on this deposit of faith, it's our job now to listen to your son in this moment. And to be in tune with your spirit in this moment. So God, as we find ourselves at tables this week, may we find ourselves giving thanks for all the good that you've done and you will do. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Twitter. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.